Make sure you check out our online store where we work with our graphic designer to create stunning garment and product designs that feature a wide variety of aircraft types such as British fighters, World War II aircraft, American bombers, Russian fighters and much more. You can pick your favourite designs and personalise any items within our Redbubble store that range from clothing right the way through to stationery. All of our designs feature our logo so you can show your support for the channel while getting a quality product. You can head to our website aircrewinterview.tv and click store or go to redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash AC interview. Thank you and enjoy. So Kim, when did you first become interested in aviation? That's a good question uh, because it started pretty early in my career. Um, I decided in fifth grade that I wanted to be a pilot and um, it actually occurred after the space shuttle Challenger accident, mm -hmm. which I know seems a bit ironic. But for me, I think watching that, I realized that the astronauts died doing something that they believed in, something they thought was bigger than themselves. And that really appealed to me along with the the thrill of flight. And um, I decided in fifth grade, that was what I wanted to do. I was gonna join the Air Force. I was gonna become a fighter pilot. Um, and it really took off from there. Um, I, After that, I was totally committed into going to the Air Force Academy. And I decided that for my 16th birthday, what I really wanted was flying lessons. And my parents were gracious enough to let me try it. Nice. Uh, and I was able to eventually solo in a Cessna. Uh, I think by then I was 17, but uh, started very early in my career, just really interested in aviation and really with the idea of down the road becoming a fighter pilot and eventually an astronaut. Yeah, so can, can you tell us like what year you actually joined the Air Force and some of the aircraft you started training on? Yeah, of course. So I, I eventually did get to the Air Force Academy. And uh, after I graduated from the Air Force Academy, went off to pilot training, and that was in 1999. I started in the T-37, the mighty tweet, yes. um, which the tweet uh, is not is not my favorite aircraft. Let's just put oh, it that really? way. <laughs> uh, I, um, you know, I was so excited to get to pilot training and I really struggled with air sickness all through my first part of pilot training. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. And, uh, I, I blame it on the tweet. I blame it on the tweet in the summer, uh, doing spins and maneuvers in the summer. Uh, but the good news is that I got over that. I think it was just, you know, took some time to get used to it. Um, and it did well enough that I was able to choose the fighter track, which was the T-38 for us, mm -hmm. and uh, loved flying the T-38, absolutely loved it. What I really loved the most was flying low-level missions, and so I realized pretty quickly that I needed to find a follow-on aircraft that would also be good for that. And so I started looking at airplanes, um, really looking at the missions of different aircraft, and after talking to a lot of different pilots, now keep in mind, this is 1999, now 2000, uh, and you know, trying to find out what I wanted to do, asking about missions, uh, I, the A-10 appealed to me. The idea of doing closer support and supporting our troops on the ground was something that I thought was really important and was kind of going back to that first discussion of where I got started, I felt like that mission of close air support was something bigger and more important than myself. 
But the A-10 in 2000, 1999, 2000 was not uh, the Air Force's primary aircraft. In fact, yeah. um, you know, it was just it it was even far hard to find a picture of the A-10, you know, posters oh, back wow. in the day uh, to put on my wall because it just wasn't that sleek, shiny, sexy airplane. But it was what I wanted. And uh, I selected the A-10 and was lucky enough to be able to fly the A-10 as my uh, first assignment. Uh, really, for 20 years, I ended up flying the A-10. So uh, I, I think I chose well. Yeah, I think so as well. But um, obviously, like a lot of pilots, uh, like going through the course, like they want the, yeah, the fast jets. Like, did you not want like that afterburner, like takeoff kind of thing? Like when you were going through, like, oh, that's cool, the F-16, F-15? It was it was interesting and exciting. I mean, obviously, I got to fly the T thirty eight. Yeah. Um, but we got this one opportunity to go supersonic, and it was like you just saw like the airspeed indicator yeah. change, and you're like, "That's it! Like, there's nothing more <laughs> than this." Uh, and so I, I say speed is relative, right? Like when you're at a hundred feet off the ground. And even if you're going 300 knots, uh, which is about as fast as we get, unless we're diving at the ground, um, it's still fast. Um, and so nice. speed speed wasn't everything. It was more for me the mission of um, of close air support. Uh, and I love the low-level flying to this day. Uh, it is one of my favorite things to do in the airplane. Absolutely. So can you tell us like what initially uh, the A-10 was designed for? So the A-10 uh, was designed for close air support, so to support our troops on the ground, which meant they built the airplane around a 19-foot-long 30-millimeter Gatling gun, which is the reason that you see the airplane. If you look straight down the nose of the airplane of the A-10, it's slightly offset uh, yes. so that the gun can be just centered up. Uh, and so the, the airplane was built to take hits. I mean, it was designed um, for you know, really those uh, tanks uh, coming across the border um, to take out the tanks, and uh, which meant that it was built to take hits while performing its mission. Uh, solely designed for the close air support mission and really good uh, at, at doing that. Uh, the airplane itself, in addition to being built around the 30 millimeter Gatling gun, uh, it's built so that there's protective foam lining around the fuel tanks to prevent fire after battle oh, damage. Wow. Didn't know that. Wow. Yep. There are two uh, very reliable <laughs> engines. Uh, there is uh, redundant systems in terms of hydraulics and flight controls. Um, and then the pilot, we actually sit in what we call a titanium bathtub, which is literally a titanium bathtub. It's, the pilot is enclosed um, with titanium surrounding the cockpit uh, to help um, to make sure that we're safe after uh, getting hit with battle damage. So essentially, the mission hasn't changed like when it was first designed to where it is now. No, the mission hasn't changed. How we execute the mission has changed. The A-10 itself has gone through significant upgrades over the years. One of my jobs um, in the Air Force was at the 42 Test and Evaluation Squadron, and my job was to help upgrade the A-10 from the A-10A model to the A-10C model. And so now, you know, we have the capability to do precision engagement weapons, whereas, you know, in the early days of flying, it was all... Uh, really dumb bombs uh and yeah. we say smart pilots <laughs> uh, but now but now we have um this capability with um precision engagement weapons with data link with helmet mounted queuing system hands-on throttle and stick all of these things that our um, sister airframes have had for a long time the a10 uh finally by about 2008 started 
having those uh, items on the aircraft and then we've continued to develop since then. Yeah, I'm sure our viewers would love to know this. Like, can you talk us through some of your flying training and what was like uh, coming from the T-38 onto the A-10? So the best thing about the A-10, uh, well, there's many good things about the A-10. <laughs> I guess I can't say that. Yeah. Um, one of the great things about the A-10 is that when you fly it for the first time, you're solo. And so that was a pretty cool experience. Um, we do a lot of training leading up to that. We do a lot of training in the simulators. But the very first time you get in that airplane, you're solo. Uh, and you'll have an IP, an instructor, pilot, uh, tucked in right behind you. But still, the first time you take off, you're solo. Uh, and so that was a really neat experience to take yeah. off for the first time. And it was all me. Um, I will tell you that flying the airplane, the A-10 is not a difficult airplane to fly. Um, it right. really, when it comes down to it, it's a fairly forgiving airplane. Um, it was designed that way. Uh, it is all the tactics, techniques, and procedures that we do when we support troops on the ground that make it hard to fly. And so the first couple rides are fairly straightforward. You get to do instruments and, um, you know, learn a little about how the aircraft maneuvers. And then finally, you get to go to the range, which is really what every pilot desires. If you're yes. an A-10 pilot, that's really what you're looking for is your first chance to go to the range <laughs> to shoot the gun for the first time, which uh, in truth, you're not actually an A-10 pilot until you shoot the gun. That's when we give out the patches for the pilots to wear. Um, but it's really getting to the range for the first time to be able to shoot the gun and, and feel that and I mean, when you shoot the gun for the first time in the airplane, like it is, it's slightly overwhelming because the gun, like when you pull the trigger on the gun, the whole jet shakes, you can smell the gun gases, you can see it out in front of you. Uh, it's oh, wow, just a total experience. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And so uh, it is, uh, it's exciting to see it. And then we're only aiming at these targets that they're not filled with fuel or anything. They're just metal hulks. So all the only feedback that we get is these little sparkles that show up on the tank when the metal of our target practice rounds hit the tank. Uh, but those sparkles are uh, what you see to know that you actually hit the target, which is obviously something that we want to be able to do. So we had we definitely had a simulator before our first flight because um, we ha we we spent a lot of time in the simulator. So we would start just simple things like learning how to do our ground ops, you know, trying to make sure that we could move all the switches and get everything started, and then you kind of progress from there. But a lot of what we do in the simulator is to prepare for emergencies. And so even on our first flight, if we lose an engine or something like that happens, they want us to be prepared uh, for that scenario. Uh, and so we've spent a lot of time in the simulator. And so by the time I got to my first flight, I felt very ready. You know, I felt like I was ready for it. Um, it, it was oh, still, though, it's I did. I felt confident, but it's still nerve wracking, right? Like you want to be good at it. You <laughs> don't want to screw yeah. up. I mean, you, the last thing you want to do is do something stupid in the airplane. And so you're still nervous, um, but super excited. I mean, I remember walking out on the flight line at Davis Monthan Air Force Base uh, it was hot. It was summer, you know, out on the tarmac. But to walk up for the first time and like see your crew chief there waiting for you and they give you a salute, you salute back um, and then you do your walk around to the airplane. And the whole time you have an instructor watching you. I mean, they're not going to make they're going to make oh, sure wow. you don't miss really? anything. Oh, yeah. They'll watch you for a bit and then they'll kind of get you settled in the airplane. 
And then they go get their airplane started, which they do 10 times faster. And I'm still trying to catch up, you know, get my own airplane started at this point. Um, but then it's, you know, time to go and taxiing out um, and getting down to the end of the runway. They do all the checks. Um, they check everything over. And then your instructor essentially says, all right, you got the lead. Um, and we taxi out on the runway. And the instructor, again, is just tucked in right behind us. Um, and I remember getting cleared for takeoff and it's kind of like that deep breath of like, all right, I can do this. Uh, and then just rolling down the runway. I mean, it's not like the A-10 slams you in the back of the seat. It's a pretty yeah, yeah. gradual <laughs> roll down the runway. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, taking off is still, I mean, it's still pretty cool. Like I worked really hard to get there. And so it was really cool to take off for the first time and um, get the mission done and then kind of land for the first time knowing like, all right, like I got here, I got started. Um, it was, it was still a really cool experience. So how, like, I mean, like uh, coming from the T-38 to your, your A-10 training, how long does that take before you get to uh, frontline squadron? So it's, let's see, it's about a year at pilot training uh, with T-37s and then T-38s. And then we'll spend another three months or so at Introduction to Fighter Fundamentals, which is where we learn how we're still flying the T-38, but now we're learning a little bit about air-to-air -air maneuvering, air-to-ground maneuvering, learning what it takes to be a fighter pilot, learning about the culture and the mindset, briefs and debriefs, all of those things. And then finally, we go on to A-10 training, which is about six months of training out at Davis-Monthan Air Force Base. We spend six months and it starts with just the basics in terms of like instrument flying. Then we go to air to air maneuvers and then we go to the range. We start doing just kind of basic surface attack where we uh, there's there's nothing other than us trying to hit the target. Um, and then we take it to the tactical range. And now that's where we really start to get into our bread and butter and what we're good at and where we bring in ground troops to help talk us on to different targets. That's where we really start learning the tactics, techniques and procedures as a wingman, you know, just hanging on the wing, being a yeah. good number two, uh, being in position, being on the radios, following the procedures. And then from there, once we finish that, we are officially uh, a 10 pol uh, qualified pilot. And then we show up at our operational unit and um, then we would get a combat mission ready checkout. Uh, meaning that the squadron that you go to, your operational squadron still wants to check you out and make sure that yes. you're good to go and ready to deploy for combat. So it's changed over the years. We've tried to shorten the training a bit here and there, um, but that's that's the training that I went through. Yeah, and what surprised me uh, with the A-10, I've seen it up close um, a couple of times, what a big jet actually is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's surprisingly big. I mean, when we go to Red Flag, and I was stationed at Nellis for three years, uh, you know, we, we're always in the end of runway getting ready to get armed up where they check all of our weapons and, you know, sitting next to an F-16. I mean, you're looking down into their cockpit. I mean, we're higher, we're yeah. bigger. Um, and you don't really realize that until you, you know, you pull in and you pull up next to one of the other airplanes and you realize how big the the A-10 is. Yeah, I mean, the, the cockpit of the A-10, I would say, is um, for most pilots roomy. I mean, we've got plenty yes. of uh, plenty of space for a single seat fighter, all considered. 
But, um, you know, the cockpit itself is it's well, and it has changed over the years because we've upgraded our systems as well. Um, But now we have, um, you know, this the standard hands on throttle and stick. So a lot of switches just on the stick and then on the throttle for us the stick um, is sits in the center of the airplane and then the throttles over on the left side Um, probably the biggest thing and the one of the best upgrades we've had is we have these uh, multi-function color displays um, that have moving maps it's where all our weapons is it's where our data link is Um, it's really helped us in terms of our situational awareness of having awareness of what's going on outside of the cockpit. I mean, in 2003 uh, and and 2002, when I was in Iraq and Afghanistan, I mean, we carried binoculars with us. I mean, that's what we used. Um, And, you know, binoculars, they're space stabilized, but binoculars aren't, you know, it's not (laughs) really the best technology (laughs) for an airplane. Um, But now we have targeting pods. And so we have that image displayed on our multifunction color displays. We have a helmet mounted queuing system. And so now I can look outside. I can get symbology where my target is, where the friendlies are. Um, But we still have a lot of the old gauges um, in the A-10. And so... uh, I've just gotten used to them. They're, you know, they're, to me, they're, they're normal. Uh, I have had the opportunity um, later in my career. In fact, I just finished up flying at the Air Force Academy um, in a Cirrus and everything there is, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's very, it's very high tech compared to the A-10 in terms of our instrument displays. And so um, I still love kind of the old school displays, which we had plenty of in the A-10, um, but it was kind of intermixed with this high tech uh, upgrades as well. Tell us how it went from the A to the C. How did that transition work? So we um, started, te- we started um, testing the A-10C. Let's see, this is about the 2006, seven, eight timeframe um, when I was at Nellis Air Force Base. And it was, I mean, part of it was we had asked for upgrades in the A-10 for a long time. And it was really until they put us at the top of the priority list, which, you know, after 9-11, the role of the A-10 and the mission of the A-10 changed dramatically, um, just in terms of how much we were used and how busy we were. And so getting these upgrades were significant in terms of the capability that we could bring to the fight. So we finally got bumped up to really the top of the the list, if you will, in terms of funding and testing capability. Uh, And so we had we had developmental testing, which our um, our uh, squadron at Eglin Air Force Base did. And then we were the operational test. And so we were really looking at not so much does it work, but how do we employ it? And uh, we tested every bit of weaponry that we could drop and shoot on the A-10 to make sure it it would work. Um, We worked very closely with the software, um, all the designers and all the software engineers and designers, little things like colors on displays, switch locations, all of those things had to be tested to make sure that they were done in the correct way. Um, We we didn't always get it right. I mean, to be honest, I mean, we, we did the best that we could. Sometimes we would go out, we think something was good, we'd go out and fly it, and it didn't really work the didn't way work, we wanted yeah. to. <laughs> um, in fact, the first time we went to go shoot live AIM-9 um, missiles over the water uh, test ranges, 
Um, I went out to shoot the AIM-9 and I remember just being like locked up on the drone right in front of me, hit the weapons release button or pickle button and nothing happened. I mean, the missiles did not come <laughs> off the rail. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> and it was like, of course, you know, I'm like, well, shit, did I do something wrong? Like, is <laughs> yeah. this, you, that's the first thing My you fault, go yeah. to, right? Is yeah, what cool. mistake did I make? Um, and so we cycled everything, went through everything, and uh, the same thing with the other aircraft. Um, and so, you know, there were things like that that happened. You know, there were mistakes along the way, and that's why we test. You know, we, we, there were uh, certainly things that we um, missed. And so all of that came out during the test. Um, and it was, I mean, it was everything. There were so many upgrades and so many changes that it took us, you know, years to kind of progress. And then it all came out in different um sequences. So we would do aircraft would get upgrades. We would train those pilots in the upgrades. Yeah. It would get more upgrades. We'd have to continue to train. So for the pilots in the 422, the test squadron, we would go out to other units and teach them and train them about how to fly the new A-10C. We would train up their instructors. And so then they would be able to train their own pilots. But it was a significant transition for our community. I mean, if you can imagine, you know, here are pilots that have been really doing an excellent job at performing the mission with paper maps, with binoculars, with grease pencils, right? We have, we would fly with red and black grease pencils to mark things on maps. Yeah. You know, we, we did that well. And now we had this, all this new technology and uh, it was hard for uh, some of the pilots to transition. I will tell you that the younger pilots, like the ones that grew up playing video games, like for them, it was like, this is not a big deal. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, for the older pilots, right? For some of us, it was like, ooh, I don't know. I kind of like my the old way of doing business. Right. Um, and so it was just a mind shift change. Once we realized that we could be more effective, more efficient, we were faster in terms of getting bombs on target and supporting the ground troops, um, it just it took time for the community to transition. Uh, but we have a much better product now. Um, and like I said, we're we're more efficient and we are more effective. So what kind of uh, weapons in your time uh, could the A-10 carry? Uh, in my time, we could carry just about, I mean, over the course of my 20 years of flying, we went from, you know, dumb bombs to smart smart bombs with uh, GPS-guided, laser-guided. Um, you know, those were significant changes for us. And now I've just seen um, some new uh, new pictures out there of uh, from the test squadron again, of the A-10 carrying the uh, SDBs, the small diameter bombs. So, yeah, so it's, I mean, it's pretty impressive to see all the changes. Um, When it comes down to it, though, that 30 millimeter Gatling gun is still our most, you know, precise, accurate go-to weapon for a troops in contact scenario. Absolutely. I want to talk about the gun. That was, obviously, the A-10 is famous for this. So, yeah. Can you tell us what it's like to fire and can you tell us maybe uh, your first time firing it? What was it like? Yeah. So we go out to the range of the first time. And again, just like uh, normal flying for the first time, there is an instructor tucked in right behind you. And so you'll we, we roll in and the first time is actually dry. Uh, so we have the capability to kind of pull the trigger, everything. Nothing happens. Nothing comes out of the gun. So mm-hmm. it's a dry pass just to make sure we're on parameters because we're really trying to nail as we turn into the target, we're trying to nail an altitude and airspeed and a dive angle so that when we aim right at the target, we're exactly where we want to be. 
Um, and then ideally your pipper, uh, where the gun is aiming is right on the target as well. And so the first time you do it, you'll have a instructor tucked in right behind you. They'll let you do a couple dry passes to make sure you're safe. Uh, and then they tell the ranger that, uh, the next pass will be a hot pass. Uh, and then there, uh, you, uh, you'll go around, it's essentially like a rectangle pattern and right. get yourself set up and then roll in and, um, get your nose pointed right at the target and call in and the ranger says cleared hot and then pull the trigger. Um, and, uh, that is kind of when you get the full feedback cause you pull the trigger and you're hoping for about, you know, a, at least a second on the trigger. Uh, and that, 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 the jet just shakes you, you can smell that gun gas and then, you know, wow. you can see the smoke out in front of you. Um, and then ideally the bullets are hitting the target. So, um, <laughs> it's a, it's a total experience to shoot the gun for the first time. Um, it's pretty cool. And, uh, as I went back as an instructor in the A-10, uh, to teach at, at our training unit, and it was always really fun to be on the other side too, to be the instructor, yes. to watch the student do that for the first time. Cause they're always so excited. I grin up uh, to here, most probably. of the time. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. And then when they come back in from the, the, uh, the sortie from the mission, they're just smiling ear to ear, like, okay, now we know what this A-10 flying is all about. If you can tell us like some of the strengths and weaknesses of the A-10, obviously the strengths you kind of mentioned, but maybe some of the weaknesses as well of the A-10. I think the one thing that most pilots will tell you is a weakness of the A-10 is our engines. Um, they, you know, they're reliable, they are durable, but we really saw the impact in Afghanistan when the temperatures were high yeah. and we were at higher elevations at Bagram Air Base. Um, we could not take off with either the amount of weapons that we wanted or the amount oh, of wow. fuel that we wanted because of the, res the limitations. Um, and so that is one thing I think if you were to ask most A-10 pilots what they would like uh, new on the airplane, it would be new engines. Um, they've they've served us well, they've done good, but we are also operating in a different environment that we have in the past. And so um, you'll see it even at, you know, at Nellis Air Force Base, um, hot summer months, fully loaded with weapons. Yeah. Um, they just don't give us the thrust that we need. And do you think the, the Air Force will actually upgrade their engines for the A-10? Uh, <laughs> it's a, that's a big bill. Um, yeah. uh, I don't know. I, I, I'd like to say I think so, but I think it's more likely I doubt it. Um, it's just, again, the, the A-10 is under threat, uh, for sticking around and there are, there are things that they are upgrading on it that are m much needed, like our, our wings, um, just they're, they've taken some damage over the years and have, um, you know, they, those are probably more important th at this point. Um, so I, it's hard to know. I mean, I'm, I'm out of the air force now. And so, um, hard to know the ins on that, but my right. guess is that that's not something that's going to happen. I guess watch this space, I guess. <laughs> I would be pleasantly surprised. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So Kim, did you ever fly at red flag? Yes. Yes. Uh, can you tell us about that? Yeah, I actually think about red flag was one of my first um, one of my first exercises. And um, I think uh, I was trying to it, sorry, it's been a long time. But I remember my I'll, I'll tell you the red flag experience that I remember was um, uh, I got my mission commander upgrade at red flag. Oh, wow. And yeah, well, that's a that's like a, if you're going to get a mission commander upgrade and you want a place to be like 
out there Perfect in front business. of everybody, again, hoping you don't screw it up. It's red flag. Um, and I had an instructor with me, but, um, you know, red flag is a, it's a huge exercise. And um, there yes. are sometimes all the services, sometimes, you know, uh, foreign uh, aircraft are there as well. Um, but it is a huge exercise with a lot of airplanes and a lot of people. And um, I got my mission commander upgrade there, which meant that I was responsible for leading a vol, leading a mission out on the mm-hmm. red flag ranges. And this was a um, an air interdiction mission where we were going in to hit targets. But then it, we also knew that we were supposed to plan for a combat search and rescue mission. So we knew oh, okay. that somebody would be simulated, um, shot down. And um, I, that was my responsibility to lead all the planning, all the preparation. Um, so we get all the information the day before, a couple days before, and we're just planning, planning with all the other uh, leads for the different um, different aircraft, different mission sets. And then we put the we put the mission plan together. We brief it. We get critiqued on it. We get questions, and then we go fly it. Uh, and there is, uh, I would say, in terms of the pressure I've faced, and it, other than really in combat, like this was the highest pressure scenario of being on the spot, being in the lead, in charge of the wow. entire red flag mission, um, knowing that everybody is watching. And everybody's counting on you to make the right decisions, whether yeah. it's a Rolex, like people are late, you're trying to decide when to push across what, you know, we, you know, into enemy territory, if you will, out on the ranges, you're making just t- decisions for the entire mission package. Um, and then you're also trying to fly your own mission. So it, while I'm doing this, I'm also leading a four ship of A-10s. We're down low. We're trying to avoid, you know, the, I think it was uh, Raptors at the time, you know, that are out, you know, looking for us, you know, cause there's red air out there yeah. that they're simulated enemy threats. Um, and we're just, you know, trying to be fly down at a hundred feet in the weeds, trying to avoid them to get to our target, not get shot at by the enemy surfaced air threats. Um, and uh, all while kind of listening of what what's going on with everybody else yeah um, and then there's a simulated shoot down and and trying to coordinate the combat search and rescue i mean it's just it's massive it was a lot of pressure um it's and that me was a headache uh, just thinking about it <laughs> yeah i mean it gives me a headache even looking back and also wondering <laughs> how the hell did i do that um but uh, that was uh that was not my first red flag experience but i think my most memorable one was that mission um, and I think probably even more pressure is the debrief at the end. I mean, the, the debrief at red flag is probably the, yeah. the biggest learning point because everybody comes together and, you know, you, you stop the tapes, you reveal the film, you look at people's shots, you look at where people made mistakes. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a full experience and, uh, getting my mission commander upgrade there was, uh, was a lot of pressure, but, you know, to have that done and be like, all right, if I can do that. Uh, I can lead a mission package into combat as Absolutely, well. Absolutely, yeah. And I, have, I actually haven't asked uh, any the, our guests on this, but uh, the red flag debriefs. You know, like uh, if it says like, uh, "Oh, you made a mistake." Is there any embarrassment there, or like, "Oh God, oh I've made a mistake," or do you own it? Um. Well, I mean, I coming from you know somebody that's made plenty of mistakes in my life right like i'm you're always a little bit embarrassed right you're like well you kind of get called out in front of everybody but i think the focus and the mindset at that point is all right we made a mistake let's go back and look at why 
right? We yeah. own the mistake. We go, okay, what was the root cause? You know, what if I did something wrong on that mission, if I made a mistake, let's say I missed the target. Well, let's go back and look at why. Was it something in the brief? Was it something that happened on the range? Was it intelligence that we just didn't have the right information? You know, there's so many things that can contribute. So we really drilled down to what was the root cause and then what lessons can we learn, right? What are we going to do differently the next time? Because we can learn as many lessons as we want, but unless we do it differently the next time, it doesn't really matter. Um, So I think, you know, the mindset going into that is you own the mistake you figure out the root cause, you define the lessons learned, and then you decide what you're going to do differently on the next mission set. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think for anybody, I don't know, maybe I think, you know, there's always a little bit of ego involved, right? The ego yeah. gets a little bruised when you make a mistake, yeah. especially in a crowd like that with a bunch of fighter pilots. So how did you integrate with like other nations? Did you find it easy, like uh, even with the Brits or, you know, the Australians, whatever, who were there? Like, uh, how did you find that? I think, you know, I've worked with so many different other nations throughout my time in the Air Force. It's just been, um, it, it's, I don't know, it's it's seamless a lot of the times just because yeah. we have the same mindset in terms of what we're trying to do, trying to be better. Um, there's sec- certainly technology things that cause problems. Sometimes our systems and communications don't always talk. And that's, you know, that's why we work together at Red Flag. Yeah. So we figured that out before we go to combat. Um, But I think about my time just either, you know, at Red Flag um, in Iraq and Afghanistan um, and just, you know, we we've done this for a while. And so we are I think we're all really good at it. And the more we work together, the better we are. Um, But, yeah, it's always been such a great experience and a fun experience. And I think one of the things that um, was unique for me was being at Bagram Air Base and you had the other, mm. you had other countries living there with you. And so it was really an opportunity to, to get to know people and, and on a more personal level, which I think anytime you can do that um, and get to know people on a personal level, then it means that when you work together professionally, um, it turns out you're better at that too. And I can imagine there was some uh, great parties at Red Flag as well. Uh, yes. Red flag. Yes. <laughs> Afghanistan. No. Uh, <laughs> although the Brits always seem to have better parties than us in Afghanistan. We had oh, all really? Rules. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that later. But uh, uh, red flag. Yeah, of course. You know, you you work so hard. You push so hard. You're under a lot of stress. And um, we're pretty good at relieving stress, too. <laughs> we're pretty good at uh, the red flag bar on a Friday night at, at Nellis. The, the uh, club is a uh, is a fun place. I mean, there's a lot of stories and lessons uh, going on around the bar, too. I'm sure uh, we can't share many of them, but... (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. 